Welcome to Making Comics, a podcast exploring the comics process from two different perspectives. I'm Keith Foster. I write the comic Kadoja and review horror and other things on my blog, KeithRFoster.com. And I'm Scott Loss, the creator and artist of The Second Shift and Wanderers of Milsanda for The Accidental Aliens. All right, brother. So if I made the intro, that means you go first. So uh, so what, what's the first thing you did this week, man? It's been a crazy productive week. I'm, I'm actually happy with the production that I got this week from different aspects of the creative field. Um, so number one, um, very important to me, I finished a page, which means there was only one page left. And I only have, I want to say that last panel on the last page is 75% done. So, yeah, man. So I'm looking at that finish line. I'm getting pretty excited. Um, After we finish recording here, I'll probably stay up for a couple of hours and see what I can get done. And uh, I really want to uh, put everything into this one panel and make it nice and, uh, you know, uh, put this thing to bed. So super excited about that. Yeah. Well, let me ask you a question about panels, because I think we've talked about Mm -hmm. this before in the context of like, I've said this about songs. Some songs are meant to be a minute and a half, one riff, a couple basic things, get the fuck out, right? Other songs, Mm -hmm. it feels like they are, you can make them eight minutes long and just continually load layer after layer of instruments on it and it just never seem it, it can always keep on getting built are our panels that way to some extent i imagine they would be where some panels just no matter how like you can put so much work into them and feel like wow there might even be a little more i can do here where others are just like get in get out it's a simple panel telling a simple story. Is that sort of the way panels work? Am I am I in the space there? Yeah, absolutely right. Uh, this specifically, so this is kind of a intro, not an introductory panel. It is a um, establishing shot in a way. So those specifically are is a song that you can put layers and layers and layers on top of. You want to give the audience as much information as you can. And uh, that establishing shot is the way to go. I might have mentioned this really early on in this podcast, but it's something that um, I learned from Sean Gordon Murphy. So his his advice was, if you have an establishing shot that you detail the shit out of, you can pretty much get away with doing no more panels for the rest of that page. Mm-hmm. The, they'll remember all the information that they took in in that first panel and move it forward throughout the page. So if you have people talking, it's not going to be a big deal if you're putting something extravagant behind it. Um, Even to the point where if you do a little too much in all of the panels, it becomes distracting. Mm -hmm. Your eye starts looking around the background as opposed to uh, taking in the dialogue and the character action. So yeah, this this specific panel uh, is, is in fact that. It is that establishing shot that you add those layers to. Oh, something... So... Also uh, noted previously, it's the most difficult shot of the entire book. Mm. And and so what I did was, it's a tough angle. It's a Dutch, ang- a Dutch angle, high, like almost top view Dutch angle. So I'm like, shit, how am I going to do this? And I had it kind of roughed in. And I'm like, to my eye, this seems correct. But... It was super rough. Like if you saw it, you're like, how the fuck are you even making that out? Mm-hmm. But it's it's my thumbnail, so I, I know what's going on. Um, so what I did was I went into Google SketchUp 
and I created rough shapes uh, that represented what I needed in the panel. So it was like a long table, uh, you know, like a worker's bench, a bookcase, a moving cart. So I kind of developed these shapes that represented each thing inside of the room. And then I put that into the right angle. And then, so I screen capped it, I dropped it into my page. And sure enough, a lot of my thumbnails, my, my thumbnail layouts, it lined up perfectly. Okay. I was like, oh, I fucking, I fucking nailed this thing. So um, that was really helpful. And since they were just basic shapes, they're essentially squares and rectangles. Um, I had to, uh, you know, what you have to do then is go in and detail, make the bookshelves, add the books, add the random knickknacks on top of it. So it's not like I'm directly copying from Google SketchUp. It's like it's just a bit of a template. And then I'm creating on top of that. Okay, so that's super interesting shit, by the way. And uh, and so I have a little bit of a question on that, which is. You're, okay, so you mentioned that you had this panel, and it sounds like it felt a little off, right? It sounds like to you it felt a little off. And then was the process, it, it felt a little off, so you used Google SketchUp as a way to validate what you did and just see is there anything actually wrong kind of thing like did you did you sense something was wrong or or was it like you just needed kind of like an external validation and that's what led you to google sketchup yes uh the latter okay. so it's it, i didn't think that was any anything was wrong but you always want to cross your cross your t's and dot your i's you want to make sure um you know everything is on the up and up what's also interesting though I remember I had this this angle, and it was quite similar. It was this high angle Dutch Dutch shot, and um, I freehanded it, and I showed it to a friend, and I said, "Hey, what does this look right to you?" And he goes, "Yeah, it looks right." And so the, I did the same thing. I created a room in this same atmosphere, and I put it at the exact same angle, and then I did the same thing. I dropped it in. I added the layer on top, uh, under it so you can see that and then my my lines over it and I would flip it on and off and he goes you know what's so weird is that is technically correct the screen cap he goes the screen cap's technically correct but your drawing looks better than the screen cap he goes your drawing looks more correct even though we know that the screen cap is the one that's legitimately right mm -hmm. so sometimes you just have to trust trust your instincts on stuff. And, and that's what happened. I ended up going with my sketch, my drawing. And um, it it didn't create like a fisheye lens or anything like that, but it kind of was like a almost a forced perspective, but mm -hmm. it was like the right amount of forced perspective and uh, made it interesting. Nice, nice. Well, uh, okay, well that's 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 a uh, that's really good shit, man. And and so it sounds like by the time by the time you even wake up tomorrow, you might have been done with it. Much less by the time this comes back up in our podcast feed a, a little bit in the future, right? When we listen back to this episode. Um, yeah, exactly right. When you guys listen to this, it will be done. This nice. book will be in the can. Nice. And you guys will also be you and you Keith and you Scott. Because <laughs> you listen too, <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's true. It's yeah, true. we do we do quality control uh, on on all our stuff. But <laughs> but anyway, okay. So yeah, so for me, um, my first thing was let me think where we left off with issue four of of volume three. Technically, issue four. I think where we left off is that I had just gotten the notes back from the letterer, and and he had he had. And yeah, we did. We talked about it. It was like, oops, I did it again. 
right? I, I did something I'd done mm-hmm. before, which is I had a whole lot of uh, non-panel people talking. And so what I did almost the day after we recorded that last week is I, I pretty much fixed it. Um, I, what I did was I cut I cut one character entirely. So here are the, here are the things I did. Number one, I ended up cutting two characters entirely so that I didn't have to deal with their text boxes. What happens is there's action going on in the frame. And there's a television with some stuff going on. And then I had people talking over that television. So what I did was, it sounds messy because it is. So what I did was I got rid of almost everybody's dialogue except one person who is talking in a text box. And every now and then a second text box comes in, but it's like a very, very quick thing. So I have one character. It's actually Yancey, um, one of the people in in the Kadoja story. She's part of like the military group special weapons division. So you have this action going on on screen and you have a TV news feed with like radio, whatever you call them, radio balloons. And, um, and then this character, Yancey, is talking over it. What I did was that's pretty much it now. Before it was a lot more, it was a lot messier. And it's the kind, again, in my case, it's the kind of mess I couldn't realize was there until I actually saw it on the page. And so that's, that's the value of getting the page back and seeing what it looks like. Cause it all makes so much sense until, until it comes back right at you. So I, I cut entire characters. I cut entire things because I realized I can deliver a lot of that information very quickly you know, at the beginning of issue four in like a sentence or a volume four in a sentence if I need to. So, uh, so I went and cleaned it up and eliminated a lot of stuff, but still conveyed the same information. And then what I did was I had Yancey actually react to some of the things that are going on screen. I'd done that before. And I think, you know, I go back and forth on it. I think on, on one hand, you, you want the action on the screen to speak for itself. But on the other hand, um, this action is pretty important. And that's why I felt that I needed the dialogue to just double down on the action so that the reader is paying specific attention to what's going on with the action instead of trying to wonder what the hell I'm trying to do with this second thing going on over the action. So I gave that all back. That was a couple days ago. And then, um, hey, man, I'm happy to say that, that this afternoon I got the finished issue four in both letters and art it's ah. it's done and and uh and so actually i have i'm gonna have i eric the letterer uploaded the uh, illustrator files so i'll be able to take a look at those and have them and uh the art is complete so basically in in some in, in a simple way kadoja volume three is now complete um, oh, yeah. all, all I need to do is get those things kind of assembled and I need to go back and re-letter the first issue because it's a different style of balloon. Now, in terms of the comics, there are some people who pledge the Kickstarter and they get individual comics. Well, I already have the issue ones printed. So, you know, I'm not going to obviously reprint issue one just for different dialogue balloons, but when it comes to the trade and I want that uniformity completely. So anyway, that ended up uh, having a nice full circle arc from from basically from Tuesday or, you know, from recording day to recording day. And uh, and now volume three is is in many ways done. At least all the art is done and the basic stuff is done. I just need to re-letter issue one and then it will be completely done aside from like PDF assembly and things like that. Oh, yeah, man, that's that's great news. That's great progress right there. Nothing yeah. more satisfying than uh, getting those finished pages in. Absolutely. Absolutely. And it was so nice to see them because even in last week's mock-up, about six of them were inked but not uh, toned. 
So, uh, so yeah, man, completely done. Nice old school giant monster stuff. I think the panels look amazing. Um, I'm really excited for it. So, so here we go. Do you like heavily dialogued books in general, like as a reader, not as a creator or, or both? Like, do you like, cause I'll say when I see a page that has a shitload of dialogue on it, I get a little turned off. I'm just like, Oh God, this is going to be a slog. You yeah. know, I kind of, I kind of like breezy reads. I like something yeah. that's having the art do a lot of the heavy lifting and then the dialogue that, that just matches nicely with it. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm, I'm sure I could break this down scientifically. I, I think to answer your question directly, I like something in the middle. I don't like a heavily dialogue page, but you know, listeners of the podcast know that I've, I've talked about my concern for completely undialogued or silent issues because I absolutely tear through them. And so I, I do I do want a nice balance there of like a good amount of dialogue. I don't know, nine, 12, maybe total dialogue things on a page, maybe a little bit more. I'd have to I'd have to pick out a perfect page and then see what that looks like. But yeah, I'm, I'm not yeah. I'm not averse to I'm not averse to tearing through something pretty fast. Um, and I definitely don't want to turn the page and be like, oh, boy, that is a whole lot of words. Yeah, I find myself, um, it's all dependent on the day, but I do like a breezy read, and I don't want it to be too, too quick, yeah. but I don't want, like, reading those X-Men Essentials, it's like, I, mentally, I'm there, because I know what, I know what I'm in store for, so I'm already coming to the dance knowing I'm gonna, it's like, we're gonna be here a while, just take your time, yeah. so um, with with other stuff, I'm like, okay, which titles tend to read quicker? It's like, I'm in the mood for that right now. It's like, yeah. oh, I'm in the mood for a little bit, and then so there's these titles. So, yeah, I guess I'm with you. It's just like, it's all dependent on the mood. Yeah, and I get it. I have a couple Essentials books as well. I have a Doctor Strange Essentials. I have a Power Man and Iron Fist Essentials. A lot of these Essentials books, they come from about the same time. Let's just go with like modern age, right? Like at least a lot of the stuff I think that we're talking about here. 70s, 80s, 90s, maybe technically silver, right. bronze, whatever you want to say. I don't know. I, I don't know my, my terminology that well. Yeah, but, I think that's modern. I, yeah. think, I think 75 and up is modern. Okay. I think. Okay. So yeah, right, right. Basically on the, on the cusp of like what you'd call maybe bronze and modern, the 70s. The 70s, yeah. lots of dialogue heavy shit there. And even the 80s. And it's just like, wow, you will turn some of these pages and it's just like exposition and dialogue and all this stuff. And, you know, the editor in me is just saying, you can cut half of this. I don't yeah. need all like this. Like half of the time, half the time, the dialogue is just explaining what's happening in the action. It's like, yeah, yeah, it's, exactly. a, it's a picture book. I can see what's happening. You don't need to tell Exactly, me. exactly. And then Spider-Man okay. sweeps in all right, and kicks so, the cup out of Craven's hand. And it's like, I fucking see it. I'm looking at it right now. I get it. <laughs> no shit, asshole. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> exactly. Go ahead, man. So what was your second thing? Uh, uh, so my second thing. So I've got a couple of things that are quick. So I just, I'm just going to kind of pair them together. So my color sent over three more pages. So uh, things are moving along. I did a check-in with him on, I think, Saturday or Sunday. And, uh, cause he said I was going to get more pages throughout the week and I didn't. So I was just like, all right, let me just follow up. You know, he's a busy guy. So he goes, Oh, don't worry. More pages are coming. And sure enough, I've gotten three already. They look fantastic. I had a small note on one of them. Uh, for this storyline, I really want it to be conveyed as a, a super creepy vibe throughout the whole thing. Uh, the page was just a little too vibrant for me. 
And I had, I had asked, I was like, Hey, is there an overlay that you can throw on top of it to kind of give it that, that creepy feeling? You know, I'm like, things are just a bit too bright, a little too vibrant. If there's a way to turn it down, cool. If not, no worries. Cause, cause beyond that, like if this was just any other page, I'd be like, this is fucking great. Like mm-hmm. it looks fantastic. It's just, um, you know, things were popping a little too much. So, mm-hmm. uh, but he said, absolutely. It's not a problem. And he'll do like he always does. He likes doing the revisions um, towards the end, so he'll kind of do them and then give them to me um, uh, right at right at the finish line there. So I got those in; those look great. And uh, some art came in uh, from France. So I always forget how to pronounce his name. He I mentioned it before. Um, Shaheen Lajuiz, La I think, is the last name. And uh, so he, I did, I had him do a pinup for me or cover, alternate cover for the second shift. Unfortunately, there just hasn't been an issue for that to go on. Cause like issue 11 was just a fight scene between two characters. And then what he did was a whole team pinup. So it's just mm-hmm. like, okay, that cover doesn't match with this book. So it won't go on there. This issue is only two characters from the main team in the book, uh, you know, with the villain for the most part. It's like the, the, Everyone shows up in the book, but, you know, not everything is happening with everybody. So it kind of didn't make sense for this one either. Plus, I already have two alternate covers that are super badass. So I don't want to get two alternate cover happy per issue. I think for me, three is the max. It's like you got your standard, you got your Kickstarter exclusive, and then you got your uh, higher tier exclusive. That's like limited, limited number. Um, So that that pinup will be, or that cover will be on more than likely second shift 12. So whenever down the line, the next book I'm tackling is, is Wanderers three. So it's a bit away, but speaking of Wanderers three, he was supposed to send me this cover months ago and it never showed up. And I was just like, I don't know what the post office is like right now. Like one of my buddies works at the post office. He says it's a shit show. Mm -hmm. So, um, I was like, I don't know, maybe it just takes that long. Maybe it's going through all these customs or whatever and taking forever. So after a couple months, I decided to hit him up. I was like, hey, man, um, did you send that out? Do you have a tracking number? And he goes, I'm not going to lie to you. I still haven't sent it out. It's still sitting here. Uh, it's safe. It's, you know, it's not lost. And I was like, honestly, that's better news that's because better I news. thought it was lost. Yeah. Yeah. It's like, you know where it is. Okay, perfect. You fucked and, up, um, but you know where it is. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, so, well, here's the, here's the best part of it all is he goes, since I'm so late, I'll draw you a free sketch. I'll draw you a head sketch, you know, as a thank you for your patience. And I was like, cool, man. And uh, so I gave him some uh, character sheets on Mars from Wanders of Milisanda. And, and he gave me this badass pinup. Like I thought it was going to be a headshot. So it showed up in the mail. Unfortunately, they showed up damaged. The cardboard that he used was a little thin and the shit got bent up. But I scanned that image of Mars and it's a full body. And it's just like, it's so awesome. I'm like, dude. And I I messaged him because he he actually asked me if it showed up or not. The day he asked me if it showed up, it showed up that day. So I sent him the pictures. Like, unfortunately, it came in damaged. But this this pinup is so badass. And he goes, yeah, yeah. I didn't think just a headshot was enough. You know, I, mm-hmm. you know, you've been so cool about this that I, I wanted to do a little more. And nice. I was like, oh man, I can't thank you enough. Can I use this for, for my book? And uh, he goes, yes, please use it for your book. So I got an alternate cover for Wanders of Melisanda. Boom. That's nice. That's nice. 
yeah, yeah it's man. interesting you you've sort of gotten me on the bug for alternate covers and um and I think you're aware because we've talked about it that there's an artist that uh that I've commissioned to do a future volume four uh cover of Kadoja so I just made the initial payment and uh you know when I get it I get it and uh and it'll be probably volume four issue one or something like that right so yeah, yeah, I'm I'm starting to get the bug a little bit as well. So uh, so we'll see we'll see how that ends up turning out. I'm excited. Yeah, it's definitely a good bug. And if it's the artist that we talked about specifically, he's pretty good at getting back on that. Yeah, especially once that initial payment comes in, he'll be he'll be on top of it. My second thought is, it's a bit of the the grander thinking, I suppose you do in in terms of writing. So I happen to have this out because I needed it for something else. And I'm going to show it to you, man. This is the, uh, I think you know this. I keep, I always keep a moleskin journal just to jot shit down, notes, things like that. So I'm just going to show you this, right? We got a couple pages of the journal here. You can see here, it's the important thing is at the top, it says Kadoja volume four, large thoughts, right? So what I did was I just took, what is this? Um, one, two, three, four, four, looks like four pages of my large thoughts on what I want to happen in Kadoja. And what I did was I went, and again, I, I believe I mentioned some of this last week, but now we're actually to executing it. So I took each of the things that I wanted to talk about, like the arc for Kadoja itself, the arc for Velez and Murakami the arc for the madness that's taking over, the arc for General Cruz, the arc for Williams. Some of these arcs are very short. You can see on this page, it says it has like Cruz, even if you can't read it, and it's like one sentence, two sentences, right? Because not everything's going to have enormous arcs here. And um, so I wrote all that out. I felt pretty good about it. And then uh, a couple days later, what I did was I did kind of my version of step two of that, which is I took all of those things and then turned them into scenes. So now this is some more pages of notes and it says Kadoja scenes by thread, right? So Mm -hmm. this is a list of all the scenes I need to have happen for Kadoja itself in this arc. Um, And then I got to the next one. It says Casa, uh, sorry, Velez and Murakami, right? Like that arc. And what those scenes look like. And it's obviously not as many. And that's where I left off. I haven't gotten to the rest. But that's what I'm going to be working on over the next few days. And so what I should have by easily by the time we record next week is to have all of these scenes laid out in terms of like this scene needs to happen. This scene needs to happen. This scene needs to happen. And again, I'm doing it uh, with each arc in mind because then what i'm going to do is there's going to be a master assembly where all those threads get put together and that's how you get that's how i get my comic book right so you're following kadoja a little bit and then you cut and now you're at velez murakami and there's scene one and now you go back to this other scene and then you go back to kadoja and it all weaves together so that all these things kind of come to their their conclusion at the same time in terms of doing this big thinking I kind of had an idea of what I wanted to do with Kadoja, but the specifics were were what we're getting to here. How does it specifically work? And I'm I'm really happy to say, and I think this is this is a something we've talked about before, and it really just came to fruition here. I got an inspiration for something about Kadoja here from a very unlikely source. I'm not gonna name that source, but I was reading a book that just in fact, it was it was unlike any kind of book that I'm reading right now. And it's Cox, un- Cox, Cox. 
that that's what it was actually. It's it's a it's an essay <laughs> on uh, bad cable companies. I know that sounds crazy, but but mm-hmm. but you know sometimes mm-hmm. the most riveting essays are are on bad cable companies. You just never know because I did not expect any ideas to come from this thing. I expected to, it to just be a breezy, dumb read where I was just letting my brain take off from all the literary stuff I read and the comics I read and all that. I just totally switched gears. And God damn it, if there wasn't a neat little thing where I'm like, hey, I can take a version of this and apply it to my story and it was so cool to see it there. And I think that, to me, that underscores the importance in terms of writing, why you need to read all the time. Because, you know, you can learn something from everything out there. And you sometimes you just never know where inspiration is, is going to hit you or where an interesting idea that you can kind of reappropriate is going to hit you. And sometimes it's even better to step outside your genre. Because, you know, like there is a a degree of sameness to genre, right? Like there's these things that get done over and over. And I I think that that's something we've talked about a lot in in our genres where you want to expose yourself to different stuff so that you're not just deep in your genre and just creating a churn of nothing but thoughts that are that are tight to that idea you know what i mean like you do need to bring Mm -hmm. in outside seasoning whatever that looks like for you and uh, so again it's to me it just served as a nice reminder keep reading keep writing and keep those ideas fresh and you know sometimes the the most unlikely source is a place where you can get a really nice uh, angle on something that that you might want to try yourself yeah, absolutely. When I was wrestling, I stopped watching wrestling and started watching kung fu movies, uh, cartoons, like different cartoons, anime and stuff was giving me inspiration. You know, um, talking about being in your own genre, it's like, yeah, if you're just doing the same old monster tropes, then it's not, your book is nothing new. But once you start finding these outside influences, then you're then you got something. You're mm-hmm. you're cooking with grease here, you know, yep. and uh, you're bringing something new to the table. So exactly, totally. that's that's pretty awesome. Exactly, exactly. Thanks, man. Uh, what else you got? Okay, and uh, so so my last major thing, I got like a little housekeeping thing at the end there. But uh, uh, my last thing is I got a random text from my printer, and he goes, "Hey, man, I hope everything's cool. Just wanted to show you this new thing I can do now." And boom, he sent me he sent me a video of a uh, his. <laughs> so he's doing trade paperbacks now. They're perfect bound. Oh wow! <laughs> yeah, yeah. He's like, just check this out. I've been uh, playing with this thing. Look what I can do. I can make it spin <laughs> like a helicopter. <laughs> uh, yeah. So he sent me uh, you know a little. He likes to send. Okay. So what I really like about this printer is he does he sends you a video proof. So he just has his camera there. And he flips through the pages nice and slow so oh, you can nice. see everything. Okay, so it's actually yes. not a digital, it's a video. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll yeah, he sends it over and he flips through it and everything. And and that's actually how I saw the error on Wanders of Melisanda 2 with the zipatones. Like they were all fucked up. And I saw it because I was like, hey, can you zoom in on that? I was like, there, there looks like something weird is going on. Um and then there was another incident where the PDF got messed up and there was like two of the same page back to back. Mm. And I was like, what the fuck? So, you know, it was really helpful. And uh, so anyway, he sends me this video and it's of uh, a trade paperback. It's perfect bound and it's something he's doing now. So I'm pretty excited about that. Nice. So with the buildup towards the second trade paperback, 
um, I can potentially go to him. You know, if the printer that you and I have used in the past, if they're not willing to give me like a lower number that I'm allowed to print, then I might just go with him. And honestly, I'm going to find out his prices and see if they're competitive. And uh, if so, then I might just go with him because I have a nice relationship with him. Yeah. I mean, and, and I will say um, I would consider doing some work with that printer as well, especially for, um, you know, theory, like, I don't know, different covers and things like that. Right. So, I mean, like, let's say maybe some like some printers, for example, and I'm not saying this printer has that. But some printers have the ability to do really fancy like like covers and things like that, right? Like be creative and get something out there where your standard printer may not be able to do that because they don't have the materials and may not be to deliver able to deliver a you know black embossed gatefold diamond studded crown or whatever the hell you want to think of for your for your book, <laughs> you know. So different printers can offer different services and that's why it's always a good idea, you know, to dual source those bad boys if you can and, and always have options. So that's, that's really cool, man. Yeah. Uh, and the printer that you and I have both used that you introduced me to, they do some really great stuff. It's just, they have a minimum number that you have to hit and he yes. doesn't. Yes. And that's, that's the beauty of it. Um, and so, yeah, his cost a little bit more if you do like this minimum, but like his threshold, it's like, his prices drop when you do a hundred, mm. you know, and I don't know what, I don't know if that's the same for the trade paperback. So it's like, Hey, if I can only yeah. do a couple of hundred trades with him and it costs X amount, you know, then, then that's the way I'll go. Um, but you know, you got to do a sure. price comparison and, and see what's what, but yeah, he's a really great guy. The communication's super easy. And, uh, it's nice cause you don't always have to wait for an email with these other companies. It's, you know, it's, it's professional. So you're doing emails back and forth. His feels a little more personal. It feels like a mom and pop thing, but he's giving you quality mm -hmm. stuff. And it's just like, yeah, I just shoot him a text yeah. and it's like, Hey man, what do you, you know, do you got time to do this and that? And, um, um, Oh, that, that's actually a, a good thing. I, I kept going with this. So part of that conversation too was, Hey, I have some books I need to print through you, some comics I need to print through you, but the variant cover isn't done yet. Should I just wait or should I just send you the regular edition and this ash can so you can get those printed and uh, uh, at least move forward with that? So those will be done and then that way all you have to do is the, the alternate covers. And I'm like, the thing is though, I don't know when that cover's coming in. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I have no clue. I haven't heard from the artist. So he goes... Hey, man, whatever you feel like doing, if you want to send them over, I can tackle it. And I'm just like, OK, well, that's what I'm going to do then. Okay. You know, if yeah. if if I don't hear back uh, about that alternate cover, then I'll just print the regular editions and have them. Sh it's going to cost me a little bit more money. I'm going to have to ship two batches, basically, instead of just one batch. Um, but if that's what I got to do, then that's what I got to do. I just man, I can't stand not giving the backers their books on time. It's like, I promise this date yeah. and I'm, I'm a man of my word. So if, if I don't hit that date, I feel disgusting about it. So yeah. it's just like, yeah. okay, well the, the least I can do is get everyone that bought the regular edition, that edition and get, and get those taken care of. So, you know, we yep. got to do what we got to do. I hear you, man. No, that's, that's good. I think that's, that's really cool. And you know, it's, that's it, it's, man. Hey man, it's, it's always good to think about the backers, you know, and it's, and I, I hear you cause you know, um, on a, on a semi-related note, comparing Kickstarters, something that I, I am pleased with, um, in this case with mine is that 
I did do the dual solicit. Whenever you know you get, we all get concerned as creators about dates slipping. But something I like here is that because Diamond is listing the book, it's like, oh, I'm going to get this done for Diamond. And by nature, I'm going to get it done at the same time for Kickstarter because I'm I'm putting all these print runs together to get an even better price from the printer. So it, it is nice if, if that makes sense. It's kind of like, oh, wait, well, my, you know, I have a client, Diamond, theoretically, that's going to want these books at a certain date. I've already promised them to them at that date. So I can feel good about getting those same books at those same dates for Kickstarter, even though the covers will be different. Is And then that's three months out, right? Diamond is three months out. Is that correct? I think it's two. Two? Okay. Now, now's a great time to mention that Kadoja Volume 3, you can still order right now through your local retailer by the time this airs. It's currently in previews. So whatever way you want to do it, I'll put the order code. I'll drop it into this this week's show notes. Um, and if you follow me on social media, you you will have seen it a bunch by now and probably will, will still continue to. But yes, we are in June. June is the month it's soliciting in for um, to be in stores by August. And uh, so what happens oh, okay. is the, the orders get gathered through June. We then get the orders in July, you know. Diamond as a wholesaler basically gives the people making the comics about a month to get that book made and printed because the assumption is it's done. And uh, and then in August, those books hit the hit hit Diamond and therefore hit the comic shops. So uh, so, yeah, it's it's two slash three months from for for soliciting. And obviously to get it in previews, you got to back out another two. Like I submitted that to previews a long time ago because there's there's a couple lead times involved there. Okay, so your your codes, the book codes that that are in Diamond, mm-hmm. do you still have access to the previous volumes? So if someone wanted the previous volumes, could you give them those codes and then they can access them from Diamond and order those as well? Yes. Or is are those done? Yeah, they are. They are. That is correct. Like Kadoja Volume One and Kadoja Volume Two, and even all the original issues, they have original codes through Diamond that do not overwrite, do not change. the 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 month and the year is part of the coding of those specific codes, right? So I think part of this this code this month is like J-U-N-21 and then some some numbers, right? Because it's June of 2021. Oh, okay. Okay, so yeah, so, yeah, yeah you guys heard it here. If you don't have a volume one or two or three and you want to order all three, hit up Keith and then he'll give you those all three of those codes so you can give those to your uh, local comic shop. I'll even drop them in this week's show notes. You know what I mean? And then that way, that way people who are looking can, can take a look, can, can take a look. Hell yeah. Cool, man. You got another thing? I got another thing. Yeah. I think, I think Scott, I think I want to put a bow on today. You know what I mean? I think, I think I want to do a quick revisitation of what a weird day today has been. Um, and, and talk a little bit about something which I've talked about uh, on this podcast before. Uh, so, yeah, Scott and I had a conversation a couple hours ago, uh, you know, inside baseball here is we're recording this, ooh, four hours after we normally do. And that's because um, my my wife had just this crazy crisis involving, let's just go with, uh, you know, she's she's elsewhere right now, but let's just go with bureaucracy. Let's just go with bureaucracy for, for a catch-all. And uh, it bums me out because what I was thinking about uh, just now, and I, and I told her on the phone you know, about an hour ago, is that it bums me out when bureaucracy hurts the people that are doing right by the system. You know, that's always depressing. You know, like bureaucracy is there or like systems are there to do a certain thing. 
and and maybe keep bad things from happening. But when a person is playing the, by the rules and then they get punished, that's a bummer. That's a bummer. But anyway, so that was that was the personal uh, thread going through a lot of today. And then I had a creative thread going through today, which is I've mentioned before on the podcast that I was waiting for this first 100 page read of my novel to come back. And, uh, you know, was hoping that it would line up well with the comments I've received before. And then that could give me a springboard to the finish. Well, I got it back about uh, eight, nine hours ago from when we record this. And it was not that. It was not that. It was uh, uh, <laughs> not that. It was It was not a very pleasant um, analysis of my first hundred pages. I think that there are some things that are worthwhile to take away from that critique. And I think that there are some things that are not worthwhile to take away from that critique. But... When you first get that, and and Scott kind of got a front row seat for this because I texted him right when I got it, and uh, and he got like the gut reaction to it where I was like, oh man, you know, basically was the gut reaction, and then uh, we kind of went back and forth on whether we wanted to talk about this on the podcast or not. But I think this this kind of summary is is helpful to bring it up. So what happened was I got it. I sent off a note to my novel instructor and uh, the person that I've been working with for a while and just kind of asked his opinion on this. And, um, and, and the main thing that, that was confusing me is that for the last three years, I've had this instructor and a bunch of people in workshop that have been in classes with me and some other people as well have, have done some brief reads of it, um, including classmates um, and, some, and, and one classmate read actually my full third draft. And those notes created a certain kind of book. And the notes I got today... Um, in some ways, we're in conflict with that. You know, I, I again, I think there's some things to take away, but I think there's some things where you're in direct, experts are basically in conflict with experts. And that's, that's where your head really starts to spin. When one group of people that you trust because they're experts in something, you know, person one's published books and they tell you a certain thing and then person two has published books and they tell you the complete opposite, what the hell does that mean for you? You know, and so um, while Scott and I were talking a couple hours ago, just as kind of like preparation for recording this podcast, and at the same time, my instructor did, in fact, um, respond to me. And, you know, he was just saying something that I think I, I was close to arriving at anyway, which is, you know, you, you don't take every note. I mean, Scott said this at least five times in the course of the podcast so far. Art is subjective, you know, and and the most important thing you know, as we go through this creative process, right, is that you you are God of your realm. And there's obviously a fine line between taking notes and not taking notes. But the more you do stuff, the more you create, the more you engage in, in reading, in, in watching, in digesting other culture, the better your own instincts are going to be, whether you can define them clearly or whether you can't. Um, and so as all these things make their way through, you, you, you really have no choice at some point but to just trust yourself and, um, and, and parse out what notes are meant to be taken and what notes aren't. But more importantly, not everybody's going to love you. You know, um, ask, ask any author or any comic person, you know, like every we haven't talked about this, actually. Goodreads. Goodreads is like a blessing and a curse. You know, these 
these group review sites, these crowdsourcing review sites, because it feels like so many people, everybody has a bad review on Goodreads story. And it just goes to the fact that so much art is subjective, you know? You you can write you can write an amazing thing and some people are not gonna like it because it's just not their bag. Actually I was I was talking to to Mike a little bit, texting him back and forth about it. Mike Perkins. You know, he gave a lot of this similar uh, idea and, and he was saying, you know, same thing, man. You just, you know, again, you trust your gut. You take the notes. You take the part that, that you think resonates with you. And don't be afraid to ignore the rest of it. Because otherwise, you, you might not write your story if you take too many notes. And it's your story with, with your own beliefs. And the thing he mentioned is he was watching a doc, some kind of documentary on The Great Gatsby. And then I guess there was a comment section somehow on like the Facebook page. And people just were responding with like, The Great Gatsby sucks. Dude, if you, I mean, people out there think The Great Gatsby sucks. And it's like, what can you say to that? You know what I mean? Like, you have the right, right. to say that. I think you're wrong, but art is subjective. So what do we all know? Yeah. Even even acknowledged masterworks of all forms, somebody thinks it's terrible. All art is subjective. Um, not, you're, you can't please everyone all the time. And that's exactly what the situation is. Uh, your initial draft, uh, it had a particular direction. You got a bunch of notes suggesting maybe something else, and you liked that suggestion. You liked those notes, and they all seemed to align with one another. And then so you implemented that. Everyone enjoyed those, and then this guy reads it, and he goes, it'd be better if you didn't do this. So it's just like, oh, he wants you to be back at square one where everyone else said, hey, you're at square C, Z, whatever, Mm -hmm. or, you know, four to go with numbers like I brought up one. So I'm dumb. It's late. So <laughs> Square C Z four. That's exactly where you are. Square C Z four. Yeah. C-Z4. Yeah. 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 I think uh yeah. Uh, Green Lanterns, they orbit that galaxy. <laughs> yeah, the, you just won't be able to please everyone all the time. And yeah. uh if you do, if you try, at the end of the day you're not telling your story what you were looking to do. The, the the more you listen to everyone else, the further you are get you're getting away from what you were trying to do in the first place. So it's no longer the book yeah. that you wanted to write. Now it's something else. So um, yeah, just just like your instructor said, man, just uh, take what you know, take what's useful, leave what's useless, as as yep. my master would say, the great Bruce Lee. Exactly. Exactly. So, Jeet Kundo, that shit. Um, yes. Fuck that guy. But and well, that's, but I, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Not fuck that guy. I, I don't want to seem like, hey, we're not taking notes here. But no, you know, exactly. he's clearly he's clearly not in the same atmosphere you are. Where yeah. you're trying to go isn't where he's trying to go, and that's okay. Yeah. So you just exactly. decide to not use that note. It's not a big deal. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. And and uh, again, something that may help people out there listening. And again, Scott has a more detailed version of this. You know, in in our own history here, is that. The, the critique I got today, I found some of the larger note comments pretty interesting. It's when he boiled that down into kind of like a ground level application note where I started to question it. Um, so that's that's some of the hard part of getting notes because they can say something and then they can say, I think this is the reason. And you then have to ask yourself, is that the reason or is there something else driving this is he kind of going or he or she going for something else? And there's another way for me to solve this issue in my own way. And that's sort of what I'm arriving at. I'm still processing it. 
I'll probably continue to process it a little bit. Within a couple of days, I'll have a clear direction and an and action plans, and then we just go from there, you know. But uh, but yeah, it's you know it's it's an emotional roller coaster kind of day when you go through all these stages of you know not not getting the note you hope for, and then trying to figure out kind of what to make of it, putting it through your own filters trusting people that you trust you know what i mean like you know i i i confided in three separate people over the course of that and just asked all their opinions and the more opinions the better um and then at some point you yet those opinions help you calibrate yourself and help you kind of reassert your own identity and 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 uh you know vision i suppose of what you want your story to be because it is your story yeah uh when you initially texted me i thought it was way worse than it really was you know i thought it was like a whole classroom shit on it. i was like oh yikes and then when we talked on the phone i was like oh this isn't bad at all that's just like one dude yeah. and that's kind of something we we've talked about in previous episodes is you're not going to always get positive reviews once in a while you'll get a bad review and it's just like okay well that one person didn't like what you were doing uh the only difference is it's like okay well it's not a fully formed uh thing yet it's not a fully formed graphic novel comic book novel uh it's in the midst of the process so it's kind of like maybe it's more of a bit of an open wound because it's not complete like you weren't satisfied with it a hundred percent because it's still in this infancy or uh you know wherever wherever in the stage so it's just like okay you you know if it was finished you'd be like Eh, okay, well, this one guy didn't like it, but hey, all these other people like it. You know what yes. I mean? Yeah. And and it's essentially what you got. It was like you had these this peer group that you've been communicating with, and they're into the changes you've made, and then there's just one dude that just didn't get it. Yeah, and and you make you make a great point there, right? Which, which is about the place in the creative process. I am I am with this novel with comics. You know, you you even delineated this. A bad review is a bad review. That product is already out in the world. You've already written it. It's already made its way past gatekeepers at some level. Even if you've self-published it, hopefully you've workshopped that, you've gotten some feedback, you feel good about it, you know it's good, it's the best you can do, and you put it out in the world. You get, you get some bad reviews, you get some bad reviews. The good, the good are going to outweigh the bad. It's, but when you're in this part where like, I've never written a novel before. This is my first one. I don't know how this process works. I don't even know when I'm done, you know, and, and the first time through anything, you know, it's, it's all of those questions that are really going to create kind of like the demons of doubt. Right. And, uh, and those can be really powerful demons when you don't have the reps under you. The second I get a book out there that's published, you know, all these, all these, growing pains it they're gonna help and they're gonna help even more once that book gets out in the world with each thing that you get that you can kind of measure as a success like i got an agent i got a publisher i self-published it whatever it is i sold this many copies i got good reviews those things are all going to kind of build up your strength and and give you an even better sense of trusting your own internal compass. But at the early phase, like I am now, where somebody who I consider one of the very, you know, gatekeepers to what I want is now saying like, ooh, not feeling this. That's when it, it can get pretty tricky until you get those, again, that those things under you and some time and some experience and some successes. You got anything else? Um, I got one more thing, but it's kind of a housekeeping thing. I got one more thing, and it's not housekeeping. It's it's a it's a bit it's a bit off the dome. I wanted to ask you a pop culture question. Oh yeah, let's do it. Have you watched oh, any yeah. of the of the? So uh, this week, 
the Clone Wars uh, conversation that we had at the end of the episode with Terry came up, and that's prompted a few questions. Um, I think I think Gary Hodges made uh, brought it up. I may have seen another thing about it too on Clone Wars. So um, I I did find that condensed episode list and uh, and sent it off to you again. I think I've sent it to someone else as well. And I just wanted to know if you've watched any of it um, or or if you've still held off on it. I've watched about three or four episodes. Um, there was I was trying to draw at the same time, and I kind of felt like I should be paying attention a little more. So I so I paused it. But the episodes that I have watched, I'm like, okay, like I can see why this episode is more like there's been certain episodes that are more entertaining than others. Like Mm -hmm. the ones that just, I don't know, hang with the clones way too much. It's just like, I don't I don't care about these people. They're like fake people. Like like the clones just don't feel like real people to me. It's just like no one cares when they die. Like no one does. Yeah. So um, exactly. But, you know, you can get attached to a Padawan or something like that or or a Jedi they're trying to introduce. And then so when they bite the bullet, you're kind of like, oh, I kind of like that guy, you know. So there's a little bit more there. So, yeah, I started it. um, Haven't made too, too much progress. But, yeah, so far, so good. Awesome. Awesome. Good stuff, man. Uh, What was your final housekeeping thing? Okay, so I wanted to talk about, uh, speaking of Terry, so Terry was on and and, um, I had uh, a listener bring it to my attention that uh, uh, they were just wanted to say, hey, you know, I was listening to the episode and I heard that um, the creator you had on is from Alterna. And so, you know, just watch out for that Comics Gate stuff, that stuff's, you know, nasty and and whatever. And uh, I was just like, Oh, that guy's Terry's not a comics gate guy. That's I was like he had a book that was printed by Alterna. Like if you mm-hmm. if you have a book printed by Alterna, it doesn't automatically associate you with comics gate. And if if you're someone out there and you do think that, you should probably not think that way. I think a lot of people that got into Alterna got in because they wanted to get a book published. They had no idea that the person's uh, political views or interests were the way that they were. They just they just heard of this company that sold books for a buck fifty on newsprint, and they said, "Hey, I would love to get my book printed on that." They probably had nostalgia for that, and uh, they went and submitted their books. So that's not our bag here. That's not what we're doing. We're not part of this comics gate bullshit. Um, Terry's not part of that. And uh, just I just wanted to bring that up. Yeah. I, so uh, I, here here's how I'm going to show I'm not down with whatever Comicsgate is. I don't know what it is. What the hell is Comicsgate? <laughs> it's um, essentially kind of like a reverse inclusion in a way. It's kind of like Comicsgate. It's just this division, uh, mostly between like kind of like white male creators basically that are feeling like they're being targeted and then this whole this whole wave of uh inclusion uh into the brand like you know like having uh, le- like legacy characters take over like of different ethnicities and they're basically replacing the heroes that we've all known and loved over the years so they feel like they're being replaced and so it's this whole bullshit it's just this nonsense and I, I, I had to, and and the person I was talking to, he is a friend. I don't, I don't want to say his name on it about this. I'll, I'll tell you off the air. But um, I appreciated the concern, but I had to let him know. I'm like Terry is far from any of that. It's a tricky slope, isn't it? Here, here's my philosophy. I didn't expect us to kind of delve into this, but it's probably worth at least a brief mention. 
we're, we're here to make comics and we're here to talk about comics getting made. We do our best here um, to be apolitical and have this be a place where people can just talk about comics and have a good time. We have had conversations that have rubbed up a little too close onto that stuff that we have excluded from the podcast for the sole purpose of not wanting to be political one way or the other, you know? So, yeah, mm-hmm. that's all I have to say about that. We want to talk about comics and we want to have a good time. Yeah. And we and we want to create a community with, with people who create like us and have that be the thing. You can find me on Instagram at uh, Keith underscore decibel and at Kadoja Kaiju. One thing is me doing stuff and one is Kadoja uh, dominated. It's a Kadoja handle. So yeah, at Keith underscore decibel and at Kadoja Kaiju, one word. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Scott Lost, S-C-O-T-T-L-O-S-T and Facebook.com forward slash Scott Lost. I also have a YouTube channel where I uh, show everyone like all the books that I'm picking up. So if you're interested in the stuff that I'm reading and the stuff that I collect, uh, go to YouTube and look for, uh, I believe it's YouTube.com forward slash FN Rage. Whenever you, yeah. whenever we say you can find me, I always want to follow it up with, you can find me in St. Louis rolling on doves. That's <laughs> That's, that's a Nelly song. <laughs> anyway, um, so in terms of websites, KeithRFoster.com is all you need. There's Kadoja stuff there. There's articles there. All kinds of good stuff there. Yep. Pick up his books there, and you can pick up my books at AccidentalAliens.com. Uh, Wanderers of Melisanda, Anthropomorphic Dinosaurs vs. Humans, and Second Shift, uh, Minimum Wage Workers During the Day, Superheroes at Night, um, do consider picking those up. We would appreciate you reading our books. And if you have any questions, comments, concerns, email us at makingcomicspodcast at gmail.com. Yeah, man. You know the deal. The music's been playing for a little while. So I will see you next week, brother. Yay, yay.